Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Great. That's what I like to hear. Uh, Well, hey, today we're going to continue in our Colossians series. So we're going to be at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. So if you didn't get notes, raise your hand because you're going to want notes to follow along today. And we're going to begin reading our passage. So starting in verse 1, Colossians 3, verse 1 through 15. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever brings to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these things in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator." Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I just pray for all of us here today. Lord, we're here gathering around your word. We desire to hear from you. And so God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what you're saying to us, what you're showing us, and that our hearts would be willing and ready to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, last week, we took a break from our Colossians series to, uh, in response to the horrors of what happened in Las Vegas. And then later that night, the fires broke out. And so it's just been one thing after another lately. And I know a lot of people are, are processing this. They're worried. They're, they're anxious. Uh, I was talking to my wife earlier in the week, and she was just saying, you know, I'm, I'm actually afraid. I'm actually worried, like, what's going to happen? And you know, we pray that, that nothing will happen, no natural disasters or, or evil like, like we saw in Las Vegas. We pray that that won't happen here in our valley, but we don't know. And so on Tuesday, I came into the office, and I was talking to Matt, our new kids director. And he was telling me that, that FEMA actually has a list on their website of things that they recommend every household have to be prepared for a natural disaster. And he was actually telling me that his family has these go bags and they're actually pretty heavy. Um, he's got a lot of stuff in this one. But they have these bags that they can just grab and go with things inside it that will be useful and helpful in a survival scenario. And so I was thinking about that this week. And I was thinking, we do pray. You know, We pray that this won't happen here or nothing like this. Uh, but the assumption of FEMA and, and these different groups is that it's not a matter of if 
but when. And I couldn't help but think about the personal tragedies that we all face, whether it's an unexpected divorce, whether it's the loss of a loved one prematurely, or a dark night of the soul, the pain of watching children make unwise decisions when you have no control, or a spiritual attack, uh, something that has been close to our family has been chronic illnesses, things that just happen, and we're just like, God, we did not see this coming, but we need your help. And so today, we're going to look at what we can do to be prepared spiritually. What would we put in a spiritual preparedness pack? And we're going to look at the first thing, something that is so important, and that is supernatural peace. Supernatural peace. Now more than ever, we need to be prepared spiritually. And so I just want to encourage you and also challenge you that if you're someone who comes to church like once a month, every other week, once every three weeks, these next few weeks, be here. Okay, because we're getting prepared spiritually. Our world needs a church that is grounded and ready to be a light in any situation. And so this is just going to be such a good time for us as a community, but also as individuals. And so today we're going to look at the first thing. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Yeah? You guys as awake as the 830? Okay. Because they were pretty awake. So the first thing, supernatural peace, you cannot survive well without this in your pack. Uh, How many of you have seen a survival movie, TV shows? This isn't a trick question. And one of the first things that tends to happen is there's somebody who does the wrong thing, right? Like they're running in the wrong direction or they're freaking out. They're making too much noise. And then they say those words, let's split up, (laughs) right? Like that never goes well, but it still happens. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't be that guy, okay? Don't be that guy. To survive well, we're going to need supernatural peace. And all throughout church history, I love reading stories of men and women who were courageous in the face of evil during World War I and World War II and people that took a stand. And the reason they were able to do that is because they had supernatural peace. So now more than ever, we need this. In today's talk, we could divide this into two parts. You'll see in your notes. First, we're going to look at what does the Bible say about supernatural peace? What is it? How do we understand this? And then we're going to look at how we receive it. Okay, Uh, And we're going to spend more time on how we receive it because the, the principles that we're going to learn on how we receive this peace actually apply to a lot of traits that we find in Scripture, not just peace. So we're going to get prepared this morning, and let's begin a few attributes of supernatural peace. The first thing to know is, A, it's active. This peace is not a, a general condition. It's a living power that comes into your life. Um, If you look at the verbs, they're even more active than we see in the English translation. In Philippians 4, Paul says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then further down in that chapter, he says, I've learned the secret to being content with any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So here we see this idea in Paul's writings in Philippians, but we also find it in our passage in Colossians 3 when he says, let the peace of God guard your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. So what do we learn from these two parallel statements? We learn that peace is active. 
When Philippians says, let the peace of God guard your heart, it literally means to march around the ramparts of your heart and to ward off any and all attacks. And in Colossians, when it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it's literally a word for umpire, like we have in baseball. So in the, in the ancient times, they played games, they had referees, they had umpires, but their games were way rougher than ours. Okay, if you've ever seen Gladiator, if you've been to the Colosseum, like, you know, like, things got crazy. And so their umpires, they ruled with an iron fist. If you crossed the line, they were ready to act, you were out. So the point is, this peace that the Bible's talking about, the peace of God, it's not a vague thing. It's something inside you. It's not warm fuzzies around the holidays. It's not your first pumpkin spice latte. It's not sipping a Corona when you found your beach. It's a power that comes into your life, and it acts. It's active, it rules, it dominates, and it guards you. So the thing to understand, B, is that it rules. And this may be the most important aspect to understand, that the peace of Christ rules. It isn't ruled by circumstances. It rules despite them. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So there's a worldly kind of peace, but this worldly peace is conditional upon our circumstances. Um, For example, have you ever had a moment where you just felt totally at peace? You were totally at peace. It was a great moment. Maybe the weather was perfect outside, or you're relaxing in your favorite chair. You're sipping your favorite beverage. And then you get a text message, or you get a phone call, or you see something on the news, and your peace is gone. Has that ever happened to any of you? The natural heart is like a mirror. It can only reflect its circumstances. Think about this. A mirror has no power to illuminate. You can see yourself in a mirror if there's light outside. If it's dark, you see nothing. And so Jesus is he's contrasting these two forms of peace, this worldly peace that's always reacting to the circumstances of our world, and then this inner peace from him that's active and ruling that is not dependent on everything to be good. So if your world is at peace, you have peace in your heart, but that's a peace that the world gives you, and this ruling peace is different. The peace of Christ is not ruled by circumstances. It's a peace that cannot be taken away, because it has an ultimate source. And so this is the kind of peace that we want our lives to be grounded in. Uh, C, next thing in your notes, it comes from Jesus. It's not a peace that you develop yourself. It's a peace that comes from being connected to Jesus. When we're kids, we think that we have a lot of control in life. You know, we think, I'm going to get this relationship someday. I'm going to get this career. I'm going to have this house. Or this is what my life's going to look like. But then the older we get, the more we realize how little control we have. And if we're still trying to control those things, we realize how fragile our peace is. So we need a greater source. And supernatural peace comes from a great source. But this source is exclusive. The only lasting peace in this life is received through relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do we get this peace? Uh, Many of us are still learning to receive God's peace. Maybe you've been following Jesus, maybe this is new, or maybe you've been following for some time, but you can recognize that you're still anxious, that you're still peaceless at times. So in Hebrews 12, we see a very interesting uh, metaphor Paul uses in, in describing our faith. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance 
the race marked out for us. Living a life of faith is like running a race, and it requires perseverance. See, we live in an age where everything is instant. It's on demand. We're used to getting things quickly. And when it comes to following Jesus, there are a lot of good things that happen right away. There are a lot of miraculous things. You're forgiven from your sins. You have a hope beyond this life. You've received eternal life. You're a part of the greatest cause on earth. And all of this happens instantly. But not everything happens right away. Uh, I just started running again recently. And it's, it's really interesting. When, when you start running again, like it's been a while, you, at first you wonder, how did I ever like this? <laughs> right? <laughs> And so it took me like a few weeks, and I got up to the point where, okay, it's not as hard to run a couple miles now, so I can kind of enjoy it. Uh, But I I made the mistake of running with my friend Jared last Saturday. And he ran in college, so he was a really fast runner. And and for him, like when he runs with me, I don't know whether or not to be offended, but he keeps saying, hey, when you get your new bicycle, you can ride while I run. (laughs) I'm just like, dude, no shame. And we're probably going to do that. But, but I, was, I was running with him last Saturday, and he, when he runs with me, he goes at a really comfortable, like, eight to nine minutes a mile. But for me, comfortable is like 10 to 11, okay? And so we're running, and, and then he wants to talk. And he's asking me all these deep questions, and I'm just like, dude, we'll talk after the run. I'm, like, dying here, and I just want to finish, and we can, we can hang out after, and then I'll, then I'll tell you what I think about that, but no. So something happened to me that hasn't happened since I was in high school. We were finishing this run, and we're going up this really steep hill at the end to the house. And I got to the point where I almost threw up. Like, I had to stop, and I never thought, like, I couldn't even walk. I had to sit down, because <laughs> I was just going to lose it. Some of us, we approach our spiritual lives this way. Like, we can just go out and run more miles than we've ever ran or at a faster pace than we've ever ran, something we've never trained for. Trying to run the race of faith without training, without exercise, it's like trying to go out and run a marathon that you had no preparation for. Paul says it takes perseverance to run this race for a lifetime. So here in Colossians, Paul gives us three exercises for receiving peace. And the first one is to set your hearts and minds on things above. Right in verse 1, our passage, it begins saying, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. And it goes on to say, set your minds. In other words, what logic do you live by? Since you have been raised in Christ. We have, we have, a, we have this great gift of salvation. We have this great purpose in all of these things. But have you really thought through, if I believe this stuff, If this is true, how is my life reflecting it? How am I living? This is the first thing Paul tells us to do is to think. And this is actually a really radically different approach than most of the sources in this world. You know, we've got some great podcasts. We've got great blogs. We've got more online education than than ever before. So much information is accessible. But it's really interesting that most of the world's wisdom goes directly to how to goes directly to techniques. You know, if, if, if an article is talking about how to relieve your stress or how to, how to release some of your pressure, it'll go straight to, like, spend some time in solitude, do some breathing exercises, work on your, your home and work-life balance, clean out your closet, get more sleep. Like, we're always coming up with more creative ways to alleviate the situation. And some of these aren't bad things. But what Paul's talking about 
is getting to the heart. He's getting to the core because these quick fixes aren't sustainable. I mean, imagine when you're going through something really hard. Breathing exercises isn't going to cut it. So what does, Paul, what does the Bible say about finding peace when we're exercising this peace? The Bible says supernatural peace starts with what you believe about life. Because our beliefs impact our life more than anything else. Think about this. When was the last time you read an article that was talking about something like this, like dealing with stress, and it, it suggested that you think about the meaning of life? Right? You think about why you exist. For most people, that would be really stressful. And it kind of is at first for a lot of us. But it's the only path to lasting peace. According to Paul, this is where it all begins. He's saying, meditate on what you believe. Think about it. Pray about it. Study. Christianity, I love this. Christianity is an intelligent path to peace. It's actually a really smart approach. It's not refusing to think and numbing yourself with mindless rituals. That's a way to peace, but it's not lasting. Some of you may be thinking, man, my perception of Christianity has always been like that it's just this emotional thing, or it's just, hey, bow your head, close your eyes, and just believe. But that's not what the Bible teaches. There's absolutely no way to lasting peace without doing the mental work of exploring your questions about God, without working through your salvation. Thinking is actually a form of worship. I read a really great book years ago that I would highly recommend. And if anybody wants to borrow it, you can come by my office and borrow it uh, one at a time. It's called Love Your God, Love Your God with All Your Mind. Love Your God with All Your Mind. And it talks about the role of reason in the life of the soul. It's actually really healthy for us to think through our beliefs. There's no questions that are off limits around here. That's one of the things I love about this community is that we've recognized that there are no intellectual shortcuts Okay, to get to peace, to get to the kind of supernatural peace that God desires for us, we're going to have to love, love God with our minds. We're going to have to think through what we believe. So I'm a thinker, but that's, that alone is not going to get me to peace. And many of you, you're hearing this and you're going, yeah, I've thought about it. I have a genuine relationship with God, but I'm still struggling with this peace, peacelessness. Blech, can't talk today. Verse 5, number 2, it says, put to death evil desires. First of all, it starts with put to death. And when it says put to death, it literally means to kill off. So what are we killing off? Uh, There's a long list, and it continues all the way down to verse 11. But check this out. This list in our passage, it's not a checklist of peace. It's not a, hey, I can cross all these things off, and when I can, then I'll have peace because these things aren't in my life. The question that we need to ask is what is the root cause of all the things on this list. What's at the bottom of these problems? So right in the middle of verse 5, there are two words that are critical to understanding, but they're really easy to miss. The words are evil desires. The word desire here is a Greek word, epithmia, and it's a hard word to translate because we don't really have an English word that adequately conveys its meaning. So here the word translated, it's translated into two words, evil desires, And it means a mega desire, an over desire. So when you hear the word evil desire, um, that sounds really black and white, right? Most of us go, okay, well, I know what that is, and I I can cross that off my list. It sounds really straightforward. But this verse is actually talking about an over desire for something good that leads to something evil. 
This isn't just here. It's all throughout the New Testament. Wherever we see someone's character radically transformed, where we see a supernatural change in someone's heart, this word is in the midst, and it's explaining what's wrong with our hearts. John uses it in John 2. James uses it in James 1. Paul uses it in Ephesians 4 and in Galatians 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And Peter uses it too. Everybody uses this word. And the problem with our hearts is not a desire for bad things. It's an over-desire for good things. And that's where many of us are at. That's many of our reality. We've gotten past a lot of the things on this list, but we're still lacking peace because we have an over-desire for some things that are good. This is also known as idolatry. We see this all the way back in Exodus 1. You may not have studied the Bible a lot, but you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments, right? And the very first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So there's an assumption that if you're not worshiping the one true God, you're worshiping something. That everyone is worshiping something. The Bible says our hearts were created to worship. So it's impossible for us to not worship. You might not be religious, and you're thinking, I don't worship. And that may be true in a formal sense, but everyone has something that is your source of joy. Everyone has something that they find meaning in or that they place as their ultimate value. So how do we know what our idols are? How do we find these idols that are robbing us of peace? There are two questions that I've been asking myself this week that have been really helpful. And the first one is, what is there in my life, what goal, relationship, dream, or thing, that if I lost it, I might lose my desire to live? Not just for the moment, but but life would become less meaningful if I lost this thing. Um, If there's anything you can say that about, it might be more than a good thing. In fact, it's something that you're worshiping. Uh, Think about the Wall Street crash of 1929. You know, people lost everything, and then they started jumping off buildings. Why did they do that? They were worshiping money. They lost their, their value of life because all of their money was gone. The second question is, what in your life produces uncontrollable emotions? whether it's anger, deep sorrow, depression, what produces uncontrollable negative emotions and what is the root of them? So yesterday, or Friday, Friday, I finally got this bicycle I've been telling you guys about. Like I'm really excited about this bike and I'm gonna stop talking about it after this weekend. But I finally went and got it and I, I was leaving the, the store in the city with Marcy, and we were going along, and there's a pack on the side of it that I can put stuff in. And she's like, you know, I have a lot of stuff in my purse. Let's just put some, some of it in that, in that pack. So I'm holding my coffee in one hand, and then I'm holding the, the pack that it's connected to on this hand, and I guess it wasn't snapped on all the way. And so it, I'm holding it up, and it snaps right off, and the bike just falls on the ground and gets scratched. I, like, just left the store. And I'm... I'm holding my coffee in my hand, and I I kid you not, in my mind, I wanted to throw it in the street. Like, I was so mad. I was like, how did this happen? I'm just, I'm just going to throw my coffee. And I I almost did it. (laughs) I was this close, but I didn't. I stopped myself because I've been studying all week long about idols. Seriously, if I hadn't, some car might have gotten coffee all over it, but And Marcy checked me because I was telling her about what I was studying, and she's like, is this a little too important in your life right now? Like, are you going to let this ruin your day? 
So to be clear, supernatural peace, it doesn't replace our human emotions, okay? Jesus got angry. That's okay. When something threatens something good in your life, you're going to get angry. Jesus showed concern. If you have something good in your life and you lose it or it gets damaged, you're going to be sad. And that's okay. Think about this. Jesus cried, and he still had peace. Supernatural peace doesn't replace our normal human emotions, and normal human emotions don't ruin your peace. But the supernatural peace of Christ, it pulls you up through them. It keeps you from getting stuck in them. It keeps you balanced. It keeps you going. It's not faking a sunny day when it's raining outside. Okay, Your, your peace is removed when the level of emotion goes beyond normal and you hang out there. When the level of anger or anxiety or sorrow is over the top, when it stays with you, this is an over-desire, and it can cause you to get bitter. It can cause you to get stuck. It can cause you to start seeing the world differently. So if it's a good thing, and it's in trouble, then you worry. But if it's an ultimate thing, you get totally paralyzed, and you shut down, or you freak out, and you get angry. Do you see the connection between peace and what we worship. Circumstances reveal the disposition of your heart. It's this over-desire, this epithmia that's caused by idols that's the root problem when we lose our peace. So getting to the root of these extreme emotions or these over-desires is really important because it actually helps us understand ourselves. It actually helps us understand why we get like that or why we feel this way. So how do we get a deal with these over desires. My last point, number three, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. I think that most of us are kind of blind to discovering the things that are blocking us from peace. We tell ourselves like, yeah, that's really important to me, but it's not an idol because idol can sound really intense. It's a really strong word, but we're not just talking about someone who's dealing with an addiction or who has a shrine in their bedroom that they're worshiping, like whatever they're worshiping apart from Jesus. We're talking about things that all of us deal with, but it, it can be hard to go there because what we look at is our brokenness, and our brokenness isn't easy to face, but it's the only path to healing. I mean, think about it. You can get an infection in your body. You can go to the doctors and you can deal with it. You can get some medicine. You can get some antibiotics or, or whatever you go to, and you can deal with it and you can heal it, or you can let it get worse and worse, and it becomes a bigger problem. So when some of us admit to these certain things that are controlling us, we usually think once we've discovered them, because that's half the battle, we usually think that we can fix them ourselves. But we can't fix them ourselves. Our willpower is not enough to maintain lasting peace. The heart's desire for one object can only be conquered by replacing it with something else. Now, this may be common sense, but we have to understand something. What makes certain things in your life so powerful is that you're worshiping them. So when you're, you're standing at BART on your commute, or when you have a moment of in-between time in your day, and there's nothing you have to do, and there's nothing you have to think about, where does your mind go? What do you fantasize about? That's your worship. William Temple said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. When you don't have anything else to do, where, where do you go? You might think, uh, I know I'm too controlled by people's approval. I'm too controlled by my career. I'm too controlled by the things that I want. And you think you can solve it yourself. So you quit your job, or you find some new friends, or you move away. But you got to remember that idols, they can't be fixed. They can only be replaced. 
because your heart won't stop worshiping. Your heart was created to worship. Your worship, uh, you, you can't fix it. You have to redirect it. So if this is the case, how do we deal with our idols? How do we find this peace? Verse 5, it says, kill off evil desires. That's the good news. The good news is that you can find peace. Notice it says, put to death, kill off, and then it says, therefore. So therefore is referring to verses 1 through 4, and it's saying that you can only destroy your idols by doing what it said in verses 1 through 4, by setting your heart and mind on things above. It's not just set your minds, it's set your minds and your heart. And this doesn't happen instantly. It takes exercise. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to read your Bible. You're going to have to listen to sermons. You're going to have to join a home church and have discussions. You're going to have to sing songs of worship. You're going to have to do whatever it takes to get it into your heart until you say, if this is true, how then should I be? It takes time to heal your heart and to see what's worthy of your worship. What I love about verses 3 and 4, they actually give us the most practical possible way to understand what we're to do. It says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You might be thinking, okay, this sounds great, but what am I supposed to do? When you lose your peace, you have to realize that your heart is set on something earthly. If you want to set your mind and your heart on things above, then when you lose your peace, you need to ask yourself, what earthly thing am I placing my trust in? Or what earthly thing has become too important in my life? What good thing have I turned into an ultimate thing? And you look at that, and you identify it, and you say, you are not my life. Christ is my life. Last year, at the end of the year, um, I was pretty stressed. There was a lot of changes, big changes, and I had moved a lot last year. And I started experiencing these symptoms where I, I felt this like twitching underneath my skin. And it was like all over my body. And chronic illnesses have been an issue in my family. And so I was like freaking out. And I was thinking, I'm dying. Like, what's happening to me? And so I went to the doctor and ran all the tests. And I'll never forget, I was sitting there in the doctor's office. And she was looking at me. And she said, you know, you're, you're totally normal. You're OK. Um, but you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, you work at a church? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I think you need to pray more. She's like, I think you need to pray and meditate some more. I think that'd be really good for you. A lack of peace requires a spiritual solution. Only setting your heart and mind on things above can solve this. And so we've got to identify where have we set our, our peace, where have we set our value on things that are earthly. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me, and we're going to close in prayer. So you can close your eyes and bow your heads. Um, in this room, there are two kinds of people. There are non-religious people that are in denial of the fact that they worship anything. And there are those of us who are Christians and that we're in denial of the things that we're overvaluing, over-desiring, or, or worshiping apart from God. But what none of us can deny is that we need more peace. We can all probably remember or look back at a time not so long ago where we lost our peace, where we were overcome with anxiety or fear or worry or anger or sorrow, whatever it was. And so here we are today asking God, God, we just want to worship you. We just want your help. Reveal the things in our hearts. Reveal the things in our lives that are blocking us 
from the peace that you're trying to give us. So if you're here today um, and you're at a point where you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you've been exploring or maybe today's your first day at church, but you're seeing it clearly, God's tugging on your heart. And if you're at that place, just between you and him and me, because I want to pray for you, I just want to invite you to raise your hand so that I know you're making that decision. That's awesome. That's awesome. I just want to encourage you, tell someone, maybe someone who brought you or go to a home church this week and talk to them about the decision you made. But I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to agree with this in your heart, or you can say it out loud. Uh, But God, we thank you that you died for us. We thank you that you are the forgiveness of our sins and that our life is now about relationship with you and that we have purpose, we have eternity, we have We've been given so much because you first gave your life for us. And God, I pray for everyone else in this room as we continue in worship, that if there are earthly things where we have misplaced our trust, that we have misplaced our desire, God, I pray that you would reveal those to us, that we would go deeper with you this morning and find peace. Amen.